0: I don't wanna be your boss I can't help it If this dream gets lost
1: Universal Studios Hollywood in beautiful Los
2: Angeles, California. ToadHopNetwork.com. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda: understand, inform, and entertain. Now here's your host, Sean Aston.
3: Hello everybody, I'm Sean Aston and you're on the Toad Hop Network listening to Vox Topical eye voice of the occasionally interested people. Today we are doing something just a little bit different. I am, for those of you who've been following on Twitter you already know, and for the uh, six or seven of you who are
4: staying after
3: the Heidi and Frank show, uh, I am remote hosting this episode from Great Britain, that's right. Last night I winged my way all over here on Virgin Atlantic, and I am now in uh, a little north of London in a uh, uh, a sleepy little town that's not so sleepy called Milton Keynes, where there's a massive um, convention going on of uh, oh, science fiction and fantasy folks, and um, it's funny the hotel we're staying at is a part of the. Stadium, the soccer or here they'd say football stadium. So from my perch here, I could, uh, I, I could, I could actually run down and start playing soccer uh, in a big, massive, you know, sort of minor league sized stadium. So I won't do that though. I'll stick with you. Um, and technologically speaking, who knows what's going to happen? Gent, can you hear me? Are you on a the mic there in the in the studio? Can you
5: hear me? Yes, I can. How is it
3: that I'm, like, 8,000 miles away and I, they can hear me better? How's my How do I sound? Do I sound all right?
5: You sound just fine.
3: All right. You sound pretty good, too. Everybody, that's Gint, who is uh, uh, the engineer for the show. And if I'm not uh, mistaken, the incredibly hardworking and talented Ashley is running around behind the glass there getting ready to take phone calls. Am I right about that?
5: Yeah, she is somewhere running around here, and we also have Kenny as well. And Kenny of...
3: Kenny designed the logo for the show Fame. Kenny, I believe so, uh, and it's really quite yeah, yeah. He did that, so it's really uh, it's really a little sad because the audience that's used to watching Vox Populi as well as listening to it uh, won't be entertained by the incredible floating and falling poster that I seen <laughs> 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 hell bent on on. Tripoding behind me, except when I forget the tripod, like last week, and then we have it on the chair, and then it falls <laughs> off the chair, and my brother Mac, who's the uh, one of the producers of the show, runs over as well as you, trying to trying to prop it up. So unfortunately, and I think I can actually see what the uh, what the folks looking at on the internet can see is a gorgeous photograph of yours truly. Yes,
0: yeah, very
3: uh, very gorgeous. Right, right. <laughs> I've got i I've got a full beard going. I chose that picture uh, about. 30 minutes ago because we were sort of in a scramble and trying to figure out what to do uh, because it looked to me like, you know, a reporter in the field, you know, not where you don't have access to, a, to a, a razor and you can't shave. You sort of get a little, a little of course, it is kind of a, a trend look. But anyhow, uh, so here I am in the United Kingdom, and we've got a really cool show. Um, I have a couple of good guests, uh, a couple of clips I want to play, and I've really, really, really been hitting it hard. Uh, on Twitter, that I want folks to call in. I think I've done uh, a poor job as a host in the first four episodes. This is episode number five. We made it. Frank hasn't canceled the show. I don't <laughs> think he has anything else to put in the time slot yet, but but, but <laughs> it's but he has to cancel the show. Uh, and I haven't quit. So two great things. I'm Rudy, though. I don't quit. Um, so I really, you know, and, and Gint, you're gonna you're gonna ping me when we've got uh, any calls on, and I'm going to um, break right in. And, uh, and make sure that we talk because I, I, really feel that like that's a failure of mine so far as to, there were a couple times where I, uh, I had callers on the line, but I was finishing a point or an interview was going and, right, and right. people, you know, if they're, they're calling from their lunch break or they're calling from the, the car or something like that. They don't, they can't just, uh, or they just black, get sick and tired of it. And they don't want to wait anymore, which I, you know, these ostensibly are people who don't give that much of a crap about politics in the first place. Of course, what I've noticed is that people who are really, um, focused on this, are, are really focused on politics. And, and I, you know, I think they're hoping that my little fresh perspective will will offer, uh, you know, will maybe allow them to engage in the topics that they are uh, passionate about uh, in, a, in maybe a slightly different way, maybe bring some new people into the conversation. And maybe, you know, maybe if it's possible, we can find ourselves into conversations where we uh, argue or disagree, but we do it disagreeably and, and uh, maybe even arrive at some solutions. I forgot for the first four episodes that I had developed a um a slogan, a tagline for the show, which I you know, again, feel free to uh at any time uh-huh. chime right in and just say the slogan. All right, are you ready for it? All right, I'm ready. All right. The slogan is Well, looks like we solved that one.
5: <laughs> I like <laughs> it. I
3: <laughs> think you like that slogan. I think it's slogan. all right. So uh And it looks like you actually have
5: a couple callers uh on hold at the moment if you'd like to take one of those.
3: Boom. Throw them on. We're going to start off strong with a couple of calls. Who's first?
5: All right. Uh, give me one second. I'll put one on right now.
3: Yeah. i it's my mom. Tell her to hold. No, no. I'll put my mom All right. Gint is talking.
5: Hello. You're live on Vox Populi with Sean Aston. Hey, Sean. It's
3: uh, Heidi
6: Corrado here down in Albuquerque, New Mexico.
3: Albuquerque, New Mexico. Say your name once loud and clear for me.
6: Heidi Corrado.
3: Heidi Corrado. Hi, Heidi. What's going on? How are you doing today?
6: Hey, I'm doing pretty good, actually. I finally uh, managed to get some time to myself, so I could give you a call.
3: Well, I really appreciate that. What do you? Uh, have you been tracking any of the conversations on the Twitter? Do you have something in mind that you want to talk about? You me, I can ping you with questions. What are you thinking about?
6: Um, actually, I, I was calling to chime in on your uh, your idea of the compromise.
3: Yes. Oh, I forgot to say in the opening. Thank you, Heidi. so we depend? <laughs> We relax quite heavily on our, uh, our, our, um, our, viewer listeners, our listener viewers. So Heidi is bringing up, um, the big topic that I wanted to focus on and that I think is really a through line through the, the couple of interviews we have and a couple of clips and then the, the kind of, um, the, the, the somewhat, I don't want to say combative, but the, probably the most, uh, the most contentious that I'll be so far in the five episodes is, is compromise, is the nature of compromise and whether or not it's a dirty word whether or not you become, uh, you know, it's a sign of weakness if you compromise, whether everybody loses when compromise happens, whether everybody wins when compromise happens, whether that's the way you can get progress or that's the way. So, well, go, Heidi, why don't you start us off on your thoughts and feelings about the nature and art of compromise?
6: Uh, it, it's funny that you bring it up uh, about the art of compromise because, in, in my opinion, it is, it is exactly at that. It is an art. Um, nobody can really agree on what it's supposed to look like. Uh, Nobody—you've uh, got little uh, little groups of people say, "Hey, that's great," and other people that say, "Dude, what is that?" Um, and so you know, the art of compromise—it's you
3: know, nobody can agree. It's so on funny, you're saying what you're saying—the art of compromise is an art. It's almost—and nobody can agree on it. It's like, well. Maybe before you try and agree on something else, you should agree on what the nature of compromise is. You know, you, before you walk into a battle, you say, listen, we're, you know, we're going to come out of here, we're both going to lose something, but, but maybe, you know, if I can have a feeling inside my, I, what I've noticed in negotiations is it's successful if you can look the person in the eye and say, do you feel okay about this exchange? And even though it's a little bit tough, if they can somewhere inside them say, yeah, I can live with that. And you, which is another one of the phrases that we all came up with on, on uh, Twitter, you know, I can live with that It's a really useful uh, tool. You know, I can, right. I can live with that. Yeah. So, so, and, and that's it, you know, sometimes people just can't, they just can't live with it or they'll say, I live with that. And you can say, you know, you look, you say you can live with it, but you look miserable. I mean, do you have any, what's the last thing in your, I mean, I don't know, are you married? Do you have kids or what's your, uh, how are you, what's your life like going on now? As, as far as what? And, you know, I mean, how, tell me about, like, where, what's a, uh, a dynamic in your life, a work dynamic, a social dynamic, a family dynamic? Where, where do you find yourself in life where you might, you know, where, the, 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 you know, where compromise might be required?
6: Actually, I, I believe that compromise is something that's required all the time. Um, I mean, when, when you're in a, a state of, um, you know, if, if you could call it peace as opposed to uh, conflict, where compromise might be required, um, I view peace as something that is, uh, well, it, it's managed conflict, basically, um, because in, in every single encounter that you have with anyone else, there is a certain amount of compromise that happens. And you, you and I are compromising right now. I'm trying to listen to what it is that you're saying, and, and I'm listening to what you're saying. So
3: wonder I wonder if I can reply If I can being rude, you know? No, I wonder if I can, if I can narrow the focus, you know, I mean, I think, I think collaboration, I think agreement, you know, affinity, Mm
0: -hmm. um,
3: cooperation, these are all words that, that to me go, you know, when you walk down the street in Manhattan and there's, you know, a thousand people trying to share a sidewalk that's meant for a hundred, there is some sort of. You know, 90% of the time, there's some sort of you know agreement or cooperation that goes into people not bumping into each other. sometimes somebody runs and they bump into each other, and then you've then you've got conflict. But I mean, well, to me, what I think of some kind of when there's when there's a disputed fact or a disputed uh, course of action that needs to be taken. You know, you look at, uh, uh, I mean, I, you know, paper or plastic in the supermarket isn't about isn't about you know compromise. It, it you know, but but if you're you're gonna talk about whether or not, you know, people should be able to stand in front of the supermarket on private property and solicit, you know, whatever, donations or ask for signatures for a petition or something like that, like like that kind of thing, that the store might want, you know, to not have all that traffic that's gonna interrupt people's experience of coming in and, and buying stuff at the store. So they may want to enforce a strict like this is private property, you're not allowed to do that. But it's also, you know, generally perceived as a common space. So like that, there might need to be some compromise in that uh, in that scenario or, or in the school scenario, you know, the parking lots in our school. that was the nightmare. It's a lot of traffic in a small space that's not designed for it. And it's dangerous if they don't do the traffic flow right. And sometimes, so, you know, we, I've seen years and years of people trying to figure out, you know, how to basically suffer through the process. But in so doing, Come up with some kind of compromise, and what always ends up happening is there are those that small group of people who, on either side. Whenever, the, whenever the compromise is reached, the people who wanted one thing are, you know, they're frustrated, and so they're gonna, they're, they're not gonna go quietly. They're gonna then agitate going forward, maybe not right away, but you know, as soon as something goes wrong, then they'll grab onto that and 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 you know, use it. So, so all right. Sure. Well, any any last thought before I let you go and see if there's anybody else still hanging on the line. Um,
6: not at this particular second.
3: <laughs> all right. Well, I'll look forward to seeing your tweets and call back in when you, when you have something. Think about, and, and the rest of the, the callers who are calling in or listeners or viewers or whatever, think about examples of compromise. Like, really force your brain. Like, when you get put on the spot all of a sudden, it's hard to come up with it. I, I have a hard time coming up with them. The school one and the grocery store popped into my head at that second. But, but, uh, see so if you can come up with some examples because I, I think people find it both amusing and edifying to, uh, to have somebody go like, actually, you know, I was uh I was in a jam or I, I facilitated, you know, I, I like what you said about peace, you know, tra- being a conflict resolution uh expert is something I think we should all become in our lives. So all right, Heidi, thanks very much. I appreciate the call. Thanks, son. I appreciate your time. Cool. We got somebody else, Kent, or I'm moving we, on to my next thing.
5: We certainly do. We got Brett from Jacksonville.
3: Brett from Jacksonville. Jack Brett, can you hear me? Good afternoon. Hey, Brett. It's Sean. How you doing, sir? Oh, there he goes
7: again. All right.
3: <laughs> I got a bunch of calls today, so you're not going to have to talk fast, you know, like we we don't like to do.
7: That's all right. That's all right. We got Twitter.
3: Are, are you going to chime in about uh, compromise? You got another topic
7: thought? What are you doing? Uh, well, you know, we can do that, or, or you wanted to say something about Mr. Hannity? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to tee off on uh, on on uh, Mr. Hannity
3: at the at the. At, about an hour and a half into the show, I'm going to play uh, a few minutes, maybe – actually, it was a really good segment between Colin Powell and him that you – was you know, Jason sent me. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, Jason's yeah.
3: just our our intrepid uh, conservative, who I'm hoping will call in as well. Uh, and it's just a great interview. that I, I pulled a few minutes, actually. I think it's three minutes that I pulled from their 10-minute interview where uh, where Colin Powell goes into a discussion of – of uh you know, the, the lack of civility in, in modern discourse. And Kennedy, you know, really tries to keep up with him, really tries to be, you know, game with the conversation. He, he tries to bite his tongue because he's glad that, that, uh, you know, Powell is there, even though he's reviled him in, in times past for supporting Obama and, uh, back in 08. And fine, right, but he, th- there's just a little moment at the very end of it where he, where he does something. It's very subtle, but I'm, I'm picking up on it. And I'm going to talk about where I think it's very, uh, hypocritical of him. Uh, it's not hypocritical in the moment of the of the conversation. It, it kind of belies or or, or it it, it uh, exemplifies what I think is something that happens with him the whole way along. And and the word propaganda is going to come out of my mouth. And and so it should be uh, you know. And I'm I'm going to try and be open. I'm sure people will I'll provoke people and they'll call back. And and I'm going to try and demonstrate that I'm uh, capable of of practicing what
7: I preach when I when I'm in the heat of the moment too. So. Uh, he doesn't oh, irritate me a, nearly a, as much as Rush does.
3: <laughs> uh, well, you know, I haven't um, – Jason didn't send me to Rush yet.
7: He <laughs> Jason talking <laughs> well, about – think will something out for I, you. Uh, Yeah, so yeah. But, give me a thought on compromise or give me a thought on Hannity. Uh, you, know, you know, the thing, the thing on compromise, uh, I, I'm, <laughs> an ironic compromise in our government uh, in the not-too-distant future was the uh, Patriot Act, which goes to show you how compromise can go bad sometimes.
3: Well, there's compromise, and then there's total capitulation i don't know sure <laughs> good point but the compromise in that one was that that seemed like at a moment of of, t- fear and and anguish in the in the this national soul uh, a group of people filled that vacuum with just a complete and utter disregard for civil liberties and and uh, you know i think. Uh, I think we'll be clawing our way back from that for the next hundred years. So, but that's just my
7: until we get a civil libertarian in office. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, you know, I, I work for a school district. Life is compromise. Um, we don't have any choice. Um, we have to compromise because of uh, finances. We have to compromise because of policy that comes from above, either from the state or the federal level. We've got to compromise because of uh, union pushback. So I'm, I'm quite familiar with it, and uh, uh, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, and the, the problem becomes if you're too ideological and pushing your ideolo- ide- ideology and doing faux compromise just to get your ideology into uh, play, and uh, I, I see a lot of that too. I, I can understand the pushback. And why there's less compromise is because both parties seem to think or feel probably justly after the last couple of administrations that because they couldn't get anything through um, and, you know, this whole knowledge idea of having 60 votes and owning the House and we'll do what we want. Um, has been perpetuated for the last couple of administrations. The Bush administration and the Congress that he had did it. Um, Mr. Obama and his, you know, the Republicans can be on the bus, but in the back uh, perpetuated it, and it, it continues. I think the problem is that uh, the voters are sick of it. and you
3: said get in the bus in the back.
7: Yeah, he, I made that speech during uh, during the uh, midterm elections uh, and said that the uh, he actually <laughs> made fair, some people fairly irate with it uh, on both parties. But uh, he, in the last uh, week of intern campaigning, he uh, uh, made a statement about the. We don't remind the Republicans joining us; they come for the ride, but they got to sit in the back. Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't
8: yeah,
3: remember that one. But it didn't sound good.
7: No, it wasn't wasn't a very well thought out uh, comment. Uh, it. it the the uh, black caucus. He sort of, wasn't he sort of the
3: president kind of sticks is his own worst enemy sometimes when it comes to, uh, <laughs> it
7: comes to you know government. when you're speaking off the cuff anybody I, I'll take him you know, over as vice president, president any day of the week. The
3: cop, even the thing at Harvard with the, with the beer summit and all that stuff. But, but you know what? That's let's let's try not to focus on that stuff. I mean, I, to me, what where it comes down to it is. Sometimes people aren't going to change their point of view. They're just not. It just doesn't matter what you what you say. The, um, uh, you know what I mean. They're just they're just gonna they're just gonna fight, and when they lose, they're just gonna keep fighting. Uh, you know, what? I've got. Uh, but all right. So you've you've made a you've made a good point. The school, you know, school schools. I can't stand the kinds of compromises that get made in schools, and, and not just in schools, but on behalf of schools when when legislatures, uh, you know, just eviscerate the budget so that. You know, music teachers and, you know, uh, uh, gym coaches and, and librarians and computer folks and, you know, all those things. I know that's not the kind of compromise you're talking about, but when I hear you talk about... Oh, well, that's part of it. Ah, it just makes my blood boil. But
7: I, all You right, know, so, just the thoughts on education itself, they're a lot of compromises. The, no Child Left Behind was stupid, and for lack of a better word, um, especially well, the okay, way it was well, funded. Funded,
3: man. You know, I, I campaigned with uh, a Democrat during, for, in 2008 with several Democrats, and all you had to do was say, get rid of uh, No Child Left Behind. And you had, you know, huge auditoriums full of educators that, you know, just cheering and stuff. But at the same time, I, you know.
7: You want accountability, test-taking. I understand.
3: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, test taking. My daughter just took tests and. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the way things are phrased and worded, you know what? It's a really, really difficult issue and and compromises absolutely need to happen. And the teachers unions are too, uh, you know, need to be, uh, need to really work on themselves or be worked on. I mean, I'm a union guy, but, but they're out of control and, and there's too much money spent on all the things that everybody knows. You know, everybody knows. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm right with you. The point is like, where are we going to create forums where people can come to agreement to actually, you know, do something? So I, you know,
7: I think we have yeah. to make them realize that oh, there has to be a compromise go at some point. You can't just be ideologically pure. It, it won't work. It's
3: oh, he, he, still a great Are you there? Yeah, I'm losing it.
7: You. Yeah,
5: right, you're Brett, breaking, I... breaking up a little bit, Sean, and I think we got to go to a break here anyway.
3: All right. So, uh, all right. Well, Brett, thanks for the call as always, and uh, I want to ask Joe and Elena to hang in there while we go to this commercial break. It'll be about five minutes, and then we'll uh, we'll start right off with you guys. These calls are rock and roll. I'm really happy. Thanks yeah, me everybody. Too. We'll, I'm, I'm Have a good
7: one, Sean. See you next week. Thanks, Brett. Bye bye.
3: All right, we'll see you on the other side, everybody. The commercial.
2: Again. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network Radio, worth watching.
9: What's up, Toadheads? It's Frank Kramer, Heidi Hamilton. Hey everybody. From the Heidi and Frank Show. Reminding you that if you have satellite radio, you can check us out every single Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time on Extreme Talk Channel 165.
1: 9 p.m.
9: 9 p.m. Eastern? Uh, on the East Coast, yeah, on Extreme Talk XM 165. And if you don't have satellite radio, well, you're on the Toad Hop Network. So why not check out the Heidi and Frank Show, the backbone of the whole thing? 10 a.m. to noon every single week. The premium package. But you can listen for free every day, 10 a.m. to noon Pacific Time. Check us out, Heidi and Frank. The
10: air attack warning sounds like this is the sound. take cover.
2: You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people.
8: Hello, hello. Are we back? We are yeah, back. Are we, are we back? We're back.
3: Oh, I can't I didn't hear the bumper. Wow. I sort of missed it. Okay, uh, okay. so did was uh, were Joe and Elena able to hang around or no?
5: It looks like uh, they're both still waiting.
3: Great, ladies first. Let me hear Elena. Alrighty. Don't I sound authoritative when I'm overseas?
5: <laughs> Definitely, Elena, you're on the air.
11: Hi. Hi, Elena. Sure, where are you? I'm in Boston.
3: Boston. Gosh, I love yep. technology. What What's going on today? How are you How are you? Thanks for calling in.
11: No problem. So my friends and I were having a little bit of a discussion on Facebook about paid maternity leave. Um, And we're trying to figure out actually a compromise. (laughs) Um, I mean, I've had I have one person who's a libertarian, very, very strict and thinks that taxes are stealing and he's completely against it. And of course, then I'm very much for it. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are.
3: I think he's wrong. (laughs) 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 What does he propose, uh, just that people should wait to have children until they can afford to, or just go to work, uh, stay working up until the last minute and go back to work right away? I mean, or, you know, it's fine if it's it's a private situation, but not in the public sphere. I mean, is that basically his whole thing?
11: Yeah, basically, it's very much, you know, you know, that, you know, you work, and then, you know, if you want to have kids, that's your own business, and then you're just not working. Um, and if you can't afford it, then obviously you have to go straight back to work. Um, there are a couple people, or at least one person, worried about, um, you know, people, I guess, abusing the privilege, you know, say having a child and then, you know, a year later having another child and getting, you know, well, now they're working, not working for another year. Cool. Um, and then one was arguing... Um, well, we can't afford it, and I'm thinking, well, if Canada can afford it and give a f- almost a full year, why can't we afford it?
3: Well, I think we can afford a lot more than we think we can afford. We just have to make decisions on where we're spending money. I mean, the uh, the defense budget is. Uh, I mean, I want to have the strongest, best, smartest, most equipped fighting force in the world. I want us to have the, the best military in the world, but. But even the smartest, uh, you know, military minds are in agreement that the defense budget is way overblown. it so, take out, take a, a back some sort of a missile defense, missile system, maybe not missile defense, but some sort of a, a, you know, offensive missile system or something. I don't know what it is, or cut out some of the uh, the, the redundancies. Maybe you know, moms could get an extra two months out of it. But, but I mean, I'm, I'm just kidding. It's not a one-to-one thing. But I, you know, I think that if we. It's, well, if you want to look at it from a purely mercenary or, or a, a, you know, staying within the context of the, you know, what can the, what can we afford within our tax base, you have kids. Those are future taxpayers. You're making mm-hmm. an investment in the future, you know. Uh, yeah. And and ostensibly, if you have uh, mothers who are well-rested as mothers, then they're going to raise better kids or are going to be stronger earners. I mean, uh, but at the same time, I do agree that it can be – I mean, I think everyone would agree that it can be abused, so – Anecdotally, I know women who have worked uh you know I had a trainer a physical trainer once who was you know literally doing physical squats with like huge barbells where we like you really shouldn't be doing that it's not safe you know up until like eight and a half months and that's not advisable, but I'm just saying that women are women are very strong and and you know can work later than than uh you know th- you know they can work late late into a pregnancy later than uh, many might want to but but you know i mean I think um it just it, to me, it just seems like a no-brainer that well, there should be some amount of paid paid leave. We shouldn't go backwards on that. I mean, paid maternity leave was a whole thing in this country. So, um, you know, I mean, uh, that's a great example. That's a great example of the need for compromise. I mean, how many months would you think would be would be fit? I mean, the idea that someone's using it, you know, <laughs> to, to, to in order, you know, like like raising welfare children, like wow, if you're gonna put your body through that for nine months, you know, go. Go ahead, take a few extra months on us.
11: You know? Exactly, <laughs> that's, exactly. It's definitely uh, not a, easy. No, but,
12: but what, um, I mean, what, what
11: is a fair the, amount of
0: time?
11: I can't remember which organization recommends to breastfeed at least, you know, six months, if not a year. There are some that even say you should be breastfeeding for two years, but after that point, it's not really, um, you know, after a year, I think it's. You know, you definitely can go back to work by then, but I think at the very least six months so that you can, you know, really give it your all. Because going back to work after, you know, three months, people either just give it up or it makes work and life much more difficult if you have to pump every two hours, you know.
3: Well, I think in that kind of argument, not not argument, in that kind of discussion where you're seeking uh, for some kind of common ground, you know, if you had some real facts behind it, you know what happens with the baby's fontanelle or the baby, the child's development, and and you know, I'm sure there've been study after study about the need for that kind of uh, you know closeness and the in that developmental thing for the baby's sake, not just for the mom's sake. And then you know what it takes for the mother's body to return and that sort of cycle. I mean. Uh, you, you could probably make a, a really strong case for, for a lot longer than six months. But anyhow, probably. you're you're on the right track with the conversation. So, um, you know, good good luck with it and keep it going. I, I'm i sure that, you know, when you find articles about it, post it, you know, tweet it and put it on the Facebook or the Internet or something. Let's uh, we'll revisit it.
11: No, thank you very much.
3: Thank you. All right. Do we still have uh, Joe or, or no?
5: Yes, we do. We still have Joe. Would you like me to get him online?
3: get you and then i'm going to jump into our uh our our guests
5: jojo Hello. you're on the line hey
3: sean how you doing buddy good joe
13: where are you oh, i'm in houston texas
3: <laughs> all right big joe tell me what you got on your mind all
13: right well first i, I just uh i want to divert here a little bit last week's show when you spoke with michael medved Yeah, I don't usually agree with him, but he said something interesting, and and I'll get to compromise. But I just kind of want to comment on this, and you know, you can take it or leave it.
3: Right now, it's whatever you want.
13: Okay. Well, he was talking about changing people's behavior through taxes, and he brought up the smoking example, and he said that that was very successful. You know, that the the tax on cigarettes has actually uh, reduced smoking in the country, And, and I'm wondering, you know, if we take this you know, this kind of idea, should we tax, you know, high sugar items? I mean, should there be a tax on Big Macs and Cokes and fries?
3: Yeah, I don't think you'd be, I don't think you'd go into agreement with that. I think you'd probably pop a hole in his theory with that one. Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean,
13: isn't it true that we, we know that fast food it is wreaking havoc on not only our health, but our, our economics?
3: I got a tweet after the show regarding uh, Medved's comment about that, saying that they – I'm paraphrasing, but basically saying – paraphrasing 140 characters is funny, but uh, uh, paraphrasing by saying that, you know, it wasn't the taxing of that. It was the education of the harmful benefits of cigarette smoking that really is what got people to stop that. And I would think in the example you're giving, getting people not just to understand – I mean, I think everybody knows that greasy fat foods are not good for you, that too much sugar is not good for you, that – you know too much uh start you know there's people are starting to develop a common language for what's right and what's not right but i think experientially behaviorally we you know people don't know and i you know i wouldn't personally i wouldn't advocate for you know kind of threatening to make you know charge people more money for stuff well well
13: i i don't know i don't know if it's threatening it's just we know like like for example they say that this is the first generation that's not going to live as long as the previous generation and I mean obesity is a serious issue that's gonna have a serious economic impact that already, yeah. and, and, already and how how are impact. we gonna to, to pay for these medical costs I mean uh, and we know what's causing it so I'm just you know I'm not saying it's right or wrong I'm just saying the idea of saying let's contemplate putting a tax on these things that we know are causing this problem I think it's worth a discussion.
3: All right, we'll, we'll put that we'll, we'll put that on the hopper. I, I can I can feel my uh, my conservative friends and my libertarian friends just you know hitting the wall at the idea of taxing something like that. You know, I mean there's there is um, there there are a lot you know in schools where there's programs now to educate kids. My kids when they go to school they they exercise every morning. Part of it's to get them sort of you know calm down and ready for the classroom instead of being antsy when they get in the classroom. But it also has the real health benefits and, you know, offering classes and helping people, making foods, you know, uh, more available. I mean, listen, when you talk about the food supply and you talk about the way sort of the, the meat and poultry and those kind of industries and the way they're uh, regulated, either over-regulated or under-regulated, and the way foods are processed and prepared, I think the more people understand about food, to me it's an education thing. It's a, to me it's a straight education thing. The, the, yeah, the people, no, I
13: mean, I agree, I agree with you. That the 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 value of education, uh, you know, I, I actually, I'm not advocating this tax because uh, uh, I do agree with you. you. I think Michelle Obama's, I think on. Michelle Obama's approach is really the right approach, which is what you're advocating, which is education. Uh, but I do I think, think you know we do tax all. all kinds of things that cost our society money. I mean, you, you know, you drive down a toll road, you know, you got to pay the toll. Uh, well, you know, if you pull into McDonald's every day, well, eventually uh, that's going to, you know, show up in healthcare costs. Yeah. But, 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 well, uh, think, I'm sorry
3: for mentioning really that because I don't to want to hurt your sponsors. <laughs> no, all right. Can me. I move on to compromise here? Yeah, go. Then I got to go to my uh, my 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 guests because I have good good extended interviews with them. But go, shoot. Okay, I'll make this quick. couple things on
13: compromise. One is a Supreme Court justice one time when he was talking about pornography said, you know, you know it when you see it. And I think compromise is similar to that. I think an important thing to understand about compromise is the way we have framed the situation in our mind going into it, I think has a huge impact on how that compromise is going to come out like like newt gingrich is a perfect example of somebody who frames things from like the doom and gloom perspective and i don't think it's ever an either or so i think when people are going into a situation where they're on opposite sides of things i think the way they're framing the particular situation in their own consciousness is going to have a huge impact on whether they're going to be able to compromise if in their own mind they have said, uh, "I cannot compromise on this because the sky will fall if I do." Well, that's going to be a problem,
3: or well, they're going to lose an election. I mean, that's one of the one of my guests today is, uh, is Senator Joe uh, Donnelly from Indiana, who's um, opponent now, is yeah. a key Party back candidate, and that and he was he beat the uh, six term incumbent Senator uh, Richard Lugar, uh, and what he's the quotes that are sort of making the rounds in all the shows I and mean, his thing that. I think he said two things. I think he said that his, well, the, his idea of compromise is, I don't know, getting you know is is, uh, is getting them to vote Republican or something or getting. I can't I can't remember the exact phrase, but basically saying that he's not you know what we need is less compromise and not more compromise in order to, to move the country forward. That the people who were principled were giving up too much and it was hurting everybody. So the thing to do is to hold your principles and and so forth. But and I think he's a, a I think you're absolutely right. The, the, well, uh, he the, he, the, he must not be married. <laughs> or he may have to compromise too much in his marriage until he's going into his professional life with a different bet. I have no idea. I don't know that. I don't know anything about. Uh, the, he's a he's a current treasurer. No, a, I was man. just I making
13: a joke. I mean, I don't know anything about the guy. I mean, I just know he right. eat a good job. I think you have made but...
3: two really good uh, points. Taxation in regards to uh, foods that make us sick is an interesting creative and and provocative way to to get that conversation going and and the idea that your own frame of mind before you even start a conversation about something that that agreement is required is uh, is something, you know, that enlightened people should do and, and you know, is clearly hard to achieve. But, Joe, thank you. Hey, Sean, uh,
13: great program. Good luck to you.
3: And uh, and I'll
13: try to call on again.
3: I need you to. Thank you very much, big Joe. Okay, take it easy. Bye. Bye. All righty, then what I'm going to do is how are we doing on the break? Let's see, back in five. I don't see any uh, prompt. We've got about
5: uh, 10 minutes.
3: 10 minutes. Great. What I want to do is I want to launch right into uh, do you have the Congressman Donnelly interview teed up?
5: I certainly do.
3: We're going to just go right into it so we can get it before the break. It's like, uh, it's like 11 or 12 minutes. Try and make it, you know, let us get there. But this is, uh, this is a Democratic congressman from the second district in Indiana, the Northwest part of Indiana. The, his congressional district was redistricted in such a way that it'll be very difficult for a Democrat to win that seat again. He's throwing his hat in the ring. He's running for the United States Senate. Senator Luger, who is, uh, a very, um, has had a lot of great success in his career. He's been there for 33, four, five, six years. So I had six terms, and uh, he was just beaten by the state's treasurer, who uh, we just talked about as a uh, as a Tea party back candidate, very, um, very, you know, a conservative as 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 far as it goes. So let's hear uh, my conversation with Joe Donnelly, and uh, and then we'll come back after the break and talk about it. How we doing?
10: And we're back now with Indiana Republican Senator Richard Luger Senator Luger thank you. Oh, that's the wrong bad. piece. That's
0: the wrong piece. Uh, right.
10: No, yeah, that's okay. That, that's actually a piece of uh, Richard
3: Luger and uh, on on Face the Nation, and we'll play that when we come back on the other side of the break, and and uh, it'll help warm us up. But do, do you have the Donald? Yeah, one? I think Andy? I do. I
5: think I just played, played the wrong one here.
8: All right, great. Let's hear it. Uh, because of his ability to inspire, because of the inclusive nature of his campaign. Because he is reaching out all across America. Nope, because nope, of that's who not the right one either. <laughs> uh, uh, that one
3: is actually Colin Powell on the on Hannity's show, Sean Hannity's show. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show today. Okay, so you got a third one in there? You got it lined up? Take a crack at it. I
5: have the Mike Kennedy final one, but that's the no. only other one I have. Otherwise, it's the Luger and uh, that one.
3: Alright, Um go ahead and play the Luger one and then I'll, and we'll go to break and then we'll come back and I'll have it okay, after yeah, that
5: Okay, I'll double check if, uh,
0: yeah, okay. Alright, so here
3: we are, Um this is on Sunday, Face the Nation, uh, Senator Luger, you know, frustrating, de- uh, defeated in his, in hey, his own primary, right and uh, talking Republican about it, uh, publicly on national for television. 20. You,
10: uh, I must say, compiled a remarkable record in the years that uh, you spent in the Senate. The legislation that just you and uh, Democrat Sam Nunn authored to help the Soviet Union destroy nuclear weapons that could easily have fallen in the hands of terrorists may well have changed the course of history. And yet, here you were beaten in a primary by an opponent who said what the country needs is not more compromise, but fewer compromises. Uh on reflection, do you think you could have done something to uh, turn this around? It, w- how did this happen, Senator?
14: Well, it happened in large part because we had a Republican primary. Uh, a large portion of the Republican Party of Indiana uh, believed, apparently, in the idea of individualism as opposed to community, uh, a sense of compromise or a sense of talking across the aisle. Uh, in the past, uh, most Hoosiers, and I think that's still true of a majority of them, has supported me in our efforts, both in foreign policy, foreign policy, uh, other situations, uh, to uh, forge uh, things that worked. And so I intend to continue to do that. We have opportunities in the weeks and months ahead, while I'm still in the Senate, to try to make a difference as our country really heads toward the rocks in the economy. And we have foreign policy problems and even while the campaign is going on with the president, we've got potential for war, for conflict, for real difficulty. Well,
10: do you think that perhaps it was something other than ideolo- ideology? I mean, some said that you you were kind of out of touch with your state.
14: Yes, and- some said I was 80 years of age, which is correct, uh-huh. and that I had served far too long, that 35 or 36 years, far more than you want to. And furthermore, some county chairman said, we haven't seen you, Dick, at our... Lincoln Day dinners for a while. You've been so busy uh, touring over in Russia or Ukraine or Belarus or in Asia or what have you and during your recesses, uh, uh, we wanted to see more of you. And I understand that, and then you make a point. I'm just saying that uh, in terms of service to the country, as I saw it, I think our priorities were right. We've been very much involved in Indiana uh, throughout this period of time with all sorts of programs. but. This was just not uh, a year in which that would necessarily appreciate Well, does this say something about the Republican Party, do you think? Or is this something unique? Well, I think Indiana was unique in the sense that the outside groups, whether it was uh, Freedom Works or Club for Growth or Grover Norquist Group or the NRA or what have you, had no other playground. Indiana was it because this was a place where there was an incumbent Republican center. Not many of us running this time, as a matter of fact and uh, so they were able to come in early on with hundreds of thousands and finally millions of dollars with negative ads which turned around what usually was an approval that i had from 60 to 70 percent for all these years uh, and it went down real fast in the last two or three weeks under that so barrage.
10: Do you see that as the reason you got beat? Uh, the, these outside groups that came in, these uh, super PACs. That, uh, I guess what I'm driving at, and because we're seeing uh, what appears to be a very negative campaign shaping yes. up for the presidency right now, do you think it is possible to be reelected running, or to be
14: elected running a positive campaign anymore? I think it is very difficult. <laughs> if my uh, example is uh, the uh, uh, solid to invite. I would say I think it is still possible and it still ought to be done. Don't gather around
0: people be wherever free, you free advances, roam it be, uh, and admit the that the waters the around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll...
2: If you haven't been listening to App Addict,
14: I think it is still possible, and it still ought to be done. In other words, the country really is looking for answers, whether it be the taxation problem, the budget problem, our problems with the uh, allies or enemies abroad. There there really have to be people who are putting it together, who bring about a sense of community in addition to individualism. Now, this was the beauty, I thought, of the Ronald Reagan administration. I compliment Dana Milbank in the Washington Post today for sort of outlining all the ways in which Reagan not only was able to compromise, but bring about extraordinary results by bringing people together. And that was clearly true of the time when Sam Nunn and I came together and we were sent by Reagan to Geneva and began our talks with the Russians. That has been a 20-year period. It still goes on. The situation in Syria right now, uh, what are your thoughts on that? essentially that uh, the United Nations situation is not working out very well. It appears that our country is attempting to suggest to the Russians that they ought to get with us and try to work out something uh, such as has happened uh, in Yemen or other countries in which the Assad regime would decide to resign, but at the same time would not be murdered in the process, that there would be some potential evolution. Uh, has the president done enough? Has he shown enough leadership on this situation? I think that he's been very cautious, and I think he's cautious because he is in the process of withdrawing our troops along with NATO from Afghanistan, uh, pivoting our policy toward the, the China and, and the East, toward, toward a t- situation of using uh, robots uh, and, uh, and the, the ability not to have to send in troops. It's a, it's a difficult situation. So when you talk about Syria, and you talk about troops or intervention, the president has been very cautious. I think properly so. Are you going to campaign for the man that beat you in the primary, uh, Richard Murdoch, or are you even going to vote for him? Well, I've indicated that I hope that Republicans in Indiana will support him because I support my leader, Mitch McConnell, in getting a Republican majority. Uh, I would say that I've offered advice to my former opponents and now uh, candidates as to the kind of way he might be a constructive senator, how he can make any difference whatsoever, I hope that uh, he will in fact begin to adopt some of those ideas. But for the time being, I don't plan a, a active campaign. Senator, thank you
10: so much, and we want to wish you the very thank best. Thank you very much,
14: Bob. We'll be back in a moment with some thoughts about
10: Memorial Day.
3: Uh, uh,
5: Gint. Yes, you are on the air.
3: Right, okay, so uh, we're going to go to commercial in a minute, but that was a fascinating interview. I'm going to touch on Syria for a second when we get back, and uh, another big thing in the news maybe a little later. But um, really sets the stage, uh, statesmanship versus, um, you know, entrenchment as he characterizes it, and then uh, pretty pretty good examples that he gave. All right, we'll go to commercial. We'll come back and hear from, uh, from Congressman Joe Donnelly, who is uh, running to replace Senator Lugar against his, uh, you know, uh, opponent, uh, Republican opponent.
2: You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. If you haven't been listening to App Addicts,
9: Foursquare has actually partnered with Open Table. Oh, you guys yeah. heard about that? No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you guys know what Open Table is, right? Right. Yeah, Open Table is, you know, for the listeners, if you don't know, Open Table is, you know, a, a system online that you can go and you can actually register, uh, you know, for. Um, Restaurant, yeah. restaurant, open table. Yeah, tables. no, but it's it's a reservation. There you go. Okay. Oh, you can actually make reservations online through Open Table with a variety of different restaurants. Super cool idea for Foursquare. Hey, I'm going to go. You know, I'm thinking about going to this location to, you know, to go eat. I can, you know, obviously, I'm going to go there. I can get a discount through Foursquare. Some of the things Foursquare has, as well as make my reservation if it happens to be a busy location.
2: App addicts, Fridays at 4 Pacific, only on the Toad Hop Network. Radio worth watching.
9: On tickets. Every ticket on the ScoreBig website is below retail price, guaranteed. Great events. Lakers, Clippers, Kings, USC, UCLA, Basketball, Disney Hall, Kevin Theater. Mention specific teams in a list.
1: Well, you did,
9: and uh, I think that's uh, perfect the way you did. Those that. were teams in Southern California, but ScoreBig.com is everywhere. Everywhere, I just had a, I got a global. I got a tweet from a guy saying he's got his Giants tickets and he saved thirty percent.
1: Awesome, thanks ScoreBig.com, and that's what we're talking about. Uh, not just nosebleed seats; everything from the floor to the rafters. And again, no service or shipping fees ever. Your offer at ScoreBig.com is what you pay. Live, Live from Universal Studios Hollywood in beautiful Los Angeles, California.
2: Toadhopnetwork.com. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Aston. <laughs>
3: We're back. This is Sean Astor of Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people, here on the Toad Hop Network. And we're going to go right away to my interview yesterday with uh, Congressman Joe Donnelly running for the Senate in the great state of Indiana against the treasurer Richard Murdoch, uh, who just beat uh, Richard Luger, six-time senator, uh, in a, uh, a Tea Party-backed uh, barrage. I think it's a fair way to put it. Uh, okay, so let's, let's hear that
4: interview.
15: It's a spinoff.
4: You, you think, uh, well, if you're in there with us, I, you know, you could play the secretary of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> something or other. <laughs> <laughs> you were great in that show. Thanks, man. Thank you. Secretary of Homeland Affairs, that's what you should do, Homeland Security. There you go. <laughs> and then you pull me over. It's a spinoff. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. So um, I suppose I should say congratulations because I'm looking at the Rasmussen poll, and it shows you're in a dead heat
15: it does and um the indi- the interesting part of that Sean, is that um there was even a partisan lean uh, 14% republican so um we're we were real pleased with the way that poll turned out and it showed what we've always known in indiana people are focused on jobs and trying to work together to make our government uh, uh, more successful in, in terms of creating jobs, opportunity, good education, roads and bridges, all of those things.
4: Joe, do you how, this is your second year, or second term in Congress right now that you're finishing.
15: Actually, it's the third term I'm finishing. Third term. Yeah. Sorry,
4: sorry. I knew that. All right. Oh, so, no so how much stock do you put in the in the polls? I mean, do you, are, are they good at raising money? Or are they good? They really give you a sense of what's happening? Or do you, I mean, I, I think I, my sense is that a lot of the public is skeptical about what they mean and, and sure. they're rigged or something, you know?
15: And, and rightfully so. The, the polls that uh, um, we keep our closest eye on are the ones that um, that we do ourselves and we know that our pollster is uh, extraordinarily high quality, gets, uh, gets really good results and, and his poll just a week or two ago also had it tied and so um, that's probably the neighborhood that this race is in and what we keep seeing um, in each of these polls is that where everyone's uh, focused is on create more jobs, create more opportunity, educate our kids, uh, good roads and bridges. And and you know what I hear, Sean, all the time is, is they say, Joe, work together. Uh, this whole partisan nonsense uh, creates so much uh, division. This country needs people to work together to make it stronger.
4: And you and the your your opponent is is uh, by the national media. It's this race has be, been become a national, a nationally covered race. I mean, uh, did you see the the uh, Schaefer uh, uh, face the nation interview with um, with Senator Luger this Sunday?
15: Um, I heard about it. I was actually um, uh, out. Uh, Campaigning, and so I didn't get a chance to see it, but I, I had read a little bit about it, and it did not surprise me that Senator Luger said he was not planning on coming back to Indiana to campaign for Richard Murdoch. The, Senator Luger has been in the tradition of uh, Indiana senators, which is we go there to solve problems, not to make headlines, and that um, we're there to try to work together and create solutions. And, and Richard Murdoch has said repeatedly that he's about partisanship, he's about division. And when asked about bipartisanship by Chuck Todd, he said, my version of bipartisanship is Democrats doing what Republicans want them to do. Yeah. And, and Senator Luger has always been um, in the finest tradition of making our country stronger. But that kind of clip so, uh, that,
4: kind of that he makes is a, is not, I mean, he's not serious about that, is he? I mean, he's, that's a, that's no, a joke.
15: He's, he's dead serious about that, Sean, and has said it repeatedly time after time. And has said that he has no interest and no intention of going to work together with folks out there. If he has to actually talk to them about uh, working together to create a solution, he said, "If it's not what we want, we're not going to do it."
4: Wow. So tell me about um, tell me about the the debates coming up. I mean, you, how many do you think there will be? Is that set yet? Or
15: you, you know, I don't know the number of debates yet. I've already said I'm more than willing to uh, to do debates. In every campaign I've been involved in, um, we have had debates, whether I've, I've been the favorite or the challenger. I've always agreed to debates, and, and we'll do so again. So we don't have, know how many there will I be. Mean, they're,
4: they're, they have absolutely. to absolutely, particularly for
15: Senate. Yeah. So what yeah, and, it, and it's important to also, there are crystal, crystal clear differences here. Um, in, in a state where 40% of our corn crop uh, goes to ethanol, he 's already come out against the ethanol standards, um, which has astonished I think most of the farm community in our state in a state where uh, just by nature as, as you know we try to work together and we try to find solutions he said i'm i 'm not going to work with other people and in a state where every job say, is
4: why would he say that why in a in a reasonable i mean is, is i know he 's a treasurer of the state right i mean is he has, has he had uh... I mean I just to me the whole he, premise he, of our show here is about civil discourse, and people can disagree, right. but you Absolutely. know but the I mean it just seems like such a um it's just so he, i don't understand has, why it's in his interest to take that position
15: He has proudly taken on the tea party mantle and and has said that as as part of what his supporters believe and what he believes. And what he said is, he said, bipartisanship is what has gotten us to the problems we have in this country. And I don't think he could be wrong, more wrong. If we had worked together, we could have found a solution to this debt crisis. If we had worked together um, uh, sooner, we might have been able to uh, have alleviated the concerns of the financial crisis that we had. And so, uh, uh, you, you know, one of the things I've done, as you know, I represent South Bend, I've worked very closely with the Republican congressman from next door, and lo and behold, we were able to get a new veterans, uh, health clinic in South Bend. I worked together with the Republican congressman from Fort Wayne, and we worked together to try to make sure we could save jobs at the air base there in Fort Wayne. Um it is the, it is the nature of life. I, I'm, Sean, I'm the fifth of five kids. If I didn't work together, I didn't eat at night. <laughs> and so, uh, um, you know, that's, as you well know, uh, in, in any family, in in any job, right, in a
4: Catholic you know, family, that's those are even odds, right? I mean, there should be like eight or nine of you fighting for dinner. I don't... <laughs>
15: that's right. I was. Uh, I think our house had less kids than the one next door.
4: <laughs> All right, tell me, tell me for okay. So, you're in the you're in the house right now. You're on the uh, the veterans, right? The veterans and service members, the, the veterans
15: committee and financial services committee.
4: So, how how will that? Um, so you'll be leaving that to someone behind you and, and where will you, do you have any sense if you, uh, if, if you're, you know, if you go to the Senate in the fall, what kind of committee assignments you might have? I mean, it's, it's weird cause you start, you basically, you've been building up this seniority and now you're kind of sure. Start over.
15: Well, I, I would, um, certainly hope I have a chance to serve on the veterans committee again, because it's been so, uh, it, it's been so personally rewarding to me to try to be of assistance to our vets. Um, In the Financial Services Committee, I've been able to uh, uh, try to help work us through a very difficult financial spot. I've served on the Agriculture Committee before. Um, And so there's a number of different places. And also, uh, um, you know, whether it is uh, armed services or intelligence, uh, those are the kind of places. uh, Did you you say
4: intelligence? Did you say intelligence?
15: I yes I you know those are all possibilities as is uh, transportation and such. So well, I just think you, you about don't, it, you don't know till you get there um but it'll be a good mix that in the key to it is doing the kind of services that will make Indiana stronger and our country stronger.
4: Well that's what I was thinking is that you know there's there's a uh, 34567 year statesman who's who's leaving who represents Indiana and, and it, you know is now a uh you know, kind of an institution himself. You know, Senator Luger in right. the uh, international relations. So I, I'm just, you know, it'll Indiana will be sort of starting. It's starting new either way. But uh, but I wonder what kind of. I mean, it's I, I get this sense that there's the Berlin Wall between where the House is and where the Senate is, and like if you're able to to find some way to like get across that uh, that sure. chasm, do you have? The relationships that are with the uh, with the leadership there, what happens if we're not in the we? I'm a Democrat, even though I try and be balanced on the show. Uh, right. You know, the balance with the uh, uh, relationships with the with either party's leadership. You know what I mean? How are you gonna How are you gonna navigate those? Because it seems like that's people don't really talk about it. They talk about their right. entrenched ideas. They talk about it, but they don't talk about like practically when you wake up in the morning, you go to work, and you've got to have those meetings and get those, you know, committee flow going. I mean, how, how will you, how, how do you think it will be different and how will you navigate it?
15: Well, I think that, um, you know, some of the things that, um, uh, that I've learned while well in the house, uh, on committee assignments and others on the ranking member, which is like the lead member on the Democrat side on the, uh, oversight committee on veterans and so we work uh, seamlessly with uh, our republican friends on that and it is about how do we take care of veterans during the financial challenges we had it was how do we get our economy stronger how do we create more jobs and so um... you know when you come from indiana uh... when you come from a state that is so representative of the heartland it is in our, it is in our DNA I guess you'd say that our first obligation is to try to make our state stronger, our country stronger, and to to focus on what we can do to help, as opposed to focus on partisan politics. It's just never been our way.
4: It's so funny you're, you're you're answering my question like the way that I was really interested in hearing you answer it, and the, my mind at the same time was going like, okay, what happens if the president's numbers take a hit and that starts getting really hard? And <laughs> I was like thinking about the uh, back end of the the polling and the and the hardcore politics of it. I I wonder um uh, have you, have you, how are you going to interact with the, with the party na- nationally during this next few months?
15: Um, you know, our, our focus is really back home here in Indiana. And so, uh, um, y- you know, the, the whole national scope of this, uh, is of no interest to me at all. Uh, what's of interest is how do we create more jobs in LaPorte? How do, we how, create how do you, more how do you then? How do how, you,
4: how do you, you
15: know, if, if, uh, if the president comes to Indianapolis, we'd we'd, uh, we'd love to see him come to town. If he comes to, to Merrillville or Gary, we'd love to see him come to town. But uh, our focus is not about the president. Um, we appreciate his hard work. I appreciated President Bush's hard work. I, I've always said when the president is right, whether it's President Bush or President Obama, I'm with him. When the president is not right, I, I won't be because, you know, I ran a commercial in the last election, Sean, uh, and the the gist of it was this: I don't work for anybody else but you. And by that I mean I'm hired by the people of Indiana. Um, that's who I work for. That's who I, my obligation is with. Former Speaker Sam Rayburn, who the Rayburn Building out in Washington is named after, um, was asked one time. They said, "How many presidents uh, have you worked for?" And he said, "I've never worked for any, but I've worked with a lot of them." And and so that's where uh, that's kind of the tradition I come out of. Uh.
4: Wow. Um, I, I'm just thinking that as a, that it's so, that's one of the things that um, Senator Luger was knocked for was just not being in the state very much. I mean, he spoke in that, in the interview on Sunday and he said, uh, he said, you know, I, I talked to some folks who said they, they, they were really a dick. You haven't come to, to the, the Lincoln dinner for, for a long time. We, we, we haven't seen you there. And he said, so I, he understood that it 's it's really interesting because i i've thought for a long time that he shouldn 't be there anymore that he 's been there too long and I, I disagree with his politics, but he really kind of came across as reasonable and and uh, and, and yet at the same time and, and so that 's what you 're doing you 're talking about being focused on where where the jobs are going to be created in your specific community right. but a senator there 's only a hundred of them and our our entire i mean we 've got this Syria uh, debacle happening right now how what you know you have to be you have to be outward thinking as a senator, right? I mean, how where, what, what do you what, what do you think yeah, about Obama's yeah. like how he's postured us right now, or what's happening in the in the Syrian situation?
15: Well, you have to be focused on on knowing what's going on in the whole world. But for instance, uh, um, you know, I've come home almost every single weekend since I've since I've been in the house, so uh, it is the. Uh, you know the the six o'clock or seven o'clock Delta or Delta shuttle through Detroit to South Bend or the United flight to Chicago to O'Hare and then uh, hustling home in a in a car or in a bus or something like that and so don't you think um, sometimes it'd be better
4: job? don't you think sometimes it'd be better for the people of your thing if you're sitting you know in your library your in your townhouse or wherever you stay in D.C. and like reading the bills and figuring out how to you know I mean that just seems like such wear and tear on the body.
15: Well, I I glamorously stay on my office couch, Sean. So <laughs> <laughs> wow. not the not the not the highest roller in D.C. Uh, but um, what you you know by by coming home, uh, you have a chance to to be with your family, to spend time, a little bit of time with them, and then also just like yesterday, I was at a parade in Newcastle, Indiana. Um, I was at a memorial service in Muncie, Indiana, and I, I just find you get so much wisdom at home and, and that everyone back home, uh, the, the wisdom you get there makes you a much, much better senator when you go back to Washington. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So, but tell me something about international perspective. Tell
0: um, me about, international what, perspective, about obviously,
15: com- Yeah. Obviously, we have a, a very significant challenge in Syria. And, um, you know, I have been supportive of the fact that we have not wanted to intervene. That what we're trying to do is, through sanctions, get the Russians and the Chinese to come along with us, so that the Assad regime uh, will go away, and we can come to a resolution there uh, I, I think that uh, you know dealing with the Russians and Chinese is extraordinarily difficult, but they are a big part of the picture in Syria. It is the last thing we want to do is to be involved in another land based uh, uh, operation. With our own young men and women, that is not going to happen, and I would not support that in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I am hopeful that after the tragic events in the past few days, um, that the Russians will now come to realize that Assad's time is up.
4: Wow, I just wonder what what American leadership is um, is is supposed to look like in the 21st century. You know, is it is it a rhetorical thing? Is it are we supposed to just have the corridors at the United Nations so well healed that we can we can you know create consensus? Or we? I mean, this, what you're saying is that how what a challenge it is to talk with the the Russians and the the Chinese. I mean, the Russians have had this kind of disaster in their in their area. Like, can they can they afford financially, or do, does their ideology allow them to to move in and and from a pure kind of humanitarian perspective, try and and that? I, I just uh, it's it's a real it's a real hard thing to see what we're from for me from my you know small right. seat here figure out what we're supposed to do um but okay so shift gears for a second one of the things that i've heard you talk about that that really you know i've always wanted to be a, a member of the house i've always thought since i was a little kid you know that would be then on my tombstone they could write you know public servant <laughs> but <laughs> but uh but listen i know you're a uh,
15: public service public servant ncis star <laughs> there you go
4: there you go, go subco minor star but but the um but the the one of the issues that i've heard you speak to uh has to do with and and you're on the banking committee in the house is just the nature of finance the nature of the way you know debt and interest you know uh, and all, all the different like component ideas uh were you know kind of swirl around each other and how that um, you can kind of pull it apart and and figure out what you can do what you and the government can do to try and help things and then what's what's overreach and you know tell right. me tell me about you know I know you're 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 a lawyer you went to uh, Notre Dame, both undergrad and law school, right?
15: Yes. So you're yes.
4: like like a lot of our founding fathers. You're smarty pants. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter how <laughs> my, rugged my, my you my are. My kids how... don't think so. <laughs> well, tell them to call me. I'll, I'll call them. I'll tell them. I know how smart you are. Right? Right. But 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 tell me how you know. And we only have like a couple minutes left here. But but how do you work? Sure. You know, um,
15: the way uh, I look at the the finance um, situation is this. Um, one of the things we want to make sure is that our presence is is very much like an umpire, and wh- what I mean by that is that uh, the best umpires are the ones that are are not seen, but the reason why is because they've made good calls, and everyone knows in advance uh, that they have to play within the lines. What we saw during the difficulties in the financial crisis, in part, was in a Securities and Exchange Commission that was almost non-functional, other uh, regulations being completely ignored, and uh, risks and dangers being taken uh, that uh, that didn't just endanger Wall Street. But as you know, back in Indiana, for instance, our recreational vehicle industry, um, all the financing for our industry disappeared because the financing in Wall Street disappeared. And so the damages caused on Wall Street affected Main Street in an extraordinarily dangerous way. Our job is to to make sure that uh, the regulation is as minimal as possible, but enough to make sure that people play by the rules and that they focus on building our country, as opposed to uh, just playing financial manipulation games. Do
4: Do you think the Obama um, tenure the, the the pendulum swung too far the other way? Do you think there's been uh, um, regulations that have been put in place that are just that that are now you know, from even a Democrat's perspective, kind of, you know, inhibiting growth and businesses' ability to do its thing?
15: Well, I voted for Dodd-Frank, and um, I think it was necessary. But what we're also doing now, Sean, as we look at it is say, okay, what parts of it may, may, as we look at it, not be needed as we head down the future? There was a significant um, crisis of confidence in our financial world and and President Obama needed to make sure that that confidence uh, started to come back. We have seen um, in our state uh, our unemployment rate has dropped below 8% for the first time in almost four years. And in part the reason for that is because the financial system has gotten stronger so that that financing did come back, uh, to our RV industry. That the automotive industry, uh, where we make cars, uh, we make cars in our state, we make transmissions in our state. And one of the things, uh, Richard Murdoch actually filed the suit to try to force the liquidation of Chrysler. It is almost breathtaking to think of Indiana's treasurer being the guy who tried to put Chrysler out of business, and so uh, that was when he and I first hooked up was I fought almost nonstop to make sure that Chrysler was able to survive and so um, as the financial s- system heals itself, um, it gets a little bit stronger every day, and every day we can try to look at, hey, is there another regulation we can uh, we can remove but but it was in such dangerous, dangerous territory where we uh, We were really uh, in a place where almost everything could have gone away if we hadn't stepped up.
4: So you're so so you know the the work continues, but you're you're happy that the regulation was put in place was as the regulations were as strong as they were.
15: Well, I supported Dodd Frank, and uh, if there are regulations that uh, our our friends in the financial community feel are are overreaching or not needed. They tell us, and then we try to remove them if, uh, if not needed. So our goal is, is to have the least number of regulations possible while still having enough to make sure this never happens again.
4: All right, last thing, and then I'll let you go because you've got, I'm sure, a busy day of uh, campaigning and, and uh, congressional work to do. Most people, most people, and this is a shocking thing to have to say out loud, absolutely revile politicians. Just think politicians are the scum of the earth. That they all they are is trying to find some way to steal people's lollipops and you know take money for themselves and everything else. Do you think? I know the answer to this, but I want to hear you say it out loud. Do you think that being a, a politician, that being a member of the House of Representatives or the member of the United States Senate is a, a job that it has integrity and is a job that is uh, that that is, is meaningful still today?
15: Being a member of the House of Representatives has been one of the greatest honors of my life, Sean. Um, you know, I go to Washington, I sleep on my couch when I'm out there. Um, I come home, and, and what I understand is very clear. I'm the hired help, and so when I have someone come up to me uh, on the side of the street in the parade and say, hey, Joe, um, you know, my, my dad has his medals from World War II because your office was able to put that together and get that done, or uh, my mom is able to uh, see that she got her social security benefits straightened out and taken care of that's my job that's the people in our offices job and so at the end of the day if i can feel like uh my nation is a little bit stronger uh my community is a little bit stronger uh, i've done my job and i'm incredibly honored to have the chance to do it because it's the greatest country on earth
4: Joe, you're a friend. Thank you for coming on my little show here. Good luck Thank to you. you. I know you're oh, going to be congratulations
15: uh... on the marathon too. By the <laughs> way,
4: <laughs> thanks very much. It, it was, was, uh, was, was top notch. Was... Thanks, man. I appreciate it. We'll. Uh, I'll be seeing you soon. I might be back in Indiana for the convention. in a couple weeks. We you know. are. Yeah,
3: I really enjoyed that interview. We've got a caller now. Before we go to break for a few minutes, go ahead, caller.
5: Give me one second here.
3: Okay, Ben. Send me a caller.
5: All right, there you go. Caller, you're on the line.
16: Hey there, who's this? Matthew, hi, where are you? Uh, Southern California Ranch, Cucamonga, to be specific.
3: Yeah, I've got family out there. Oh, cool. We only have a couple minutes, so tell me what, uh, what's on your mind.
16: Okay, I'm just going to throw out some facts, and then I'm going to comment, okay? Yeah. Okay, um, 2012, uh, the welfare... Of money being spent by the government is 39, $394.5 billion, which is a ton. <clears throat> the SpaceX contract that with NASA is for $1.6 billion. 87,206 households were provided for in the month of September in Sacramento County, That um, $2,000 minimum for those, so that's a total of $176 million. Just 11% of the SpaceX money, or the money that was blown for SpaceX, could feed 219,395 people for one month. Space is not the only area where money is wasted. Universities blow money on useless research that tells us nothing that common sense wouldn't. So I think we need to think about how we're spending our money. And you had those um, four or five requirements for a great nation. And I think one of them uh, was providing for the poor. And I think we need to stop doing friv- – our government needs to stop spending money on frivolous things like space because what are we going to do there um, and start putting it towards helping people. Okay. That's, that's pretty much all I have to say.
3: All right. Well, I appreciate it. The, the, uh, I think all the numbers, uh, the facts that you put out there came through. There's a little, little bit of, uh, static and echo on your line, but I, I think we, we got it and we got the point. But the, the word B, it's B for billions, not millions on that, uh, that welfare figure that you threw out.
14: Um, right. Correct. That is getting that
3: uh, You know, this is one of those things where I think, uh, I think we have to find a way to do both. We have to find it somewhere else because, you know, and, and obviously you don't want wasted money. And in uh, every, uh, you know, one of my big things is people say, well, the government can't do this. It's the government to, the government does so many things wrong, but it doesn't mean it has to. The, government, the government's filled with the waste, fraud, and abuse, but it doesn't mean it has to be. We have to hire the right people. We have to be smart enough to hire the right people. And we have to hold them accountable in their jobs. And we have to, we, we cannot afford not to have a better working government. Uh, and I just think that the United States of America is, an imperiled nation with massive debt and lots of problems and spread too thin around the world and everything else. But we're still the greatest country in the world as far as I'm concerned, both in terms of our economy, our culture, our, you know, you know. I, I don't they just call me jingoistic if you want to, but I think we have a responsibility to the development of human civilization to push the envelope. And I just am one of those who has belief and faith that at some point, and you, you don't know exactly where, and it may not be immediately attributable, but the the follow-on benefits of that kind of exploration will anure to the benefit of all of our citizens and all the people of the world. So I'm a, I'm a little bit idealistic. Maybe I'm unrealistic, but I, I don't hold an office of public trust, so I can just wander around f- feeling like, you know, I like Star Wars. You know, what, what really uh, struck me was I was in New Zealand working on Lord of the Rings, and I was... We're in this little town called Te in the southern tip of the South Island, and it's just a tiny little, you know, like there's one street, and there's a couple of shops on it and a restaurant, and my wife and daughter were walking through this this bookstore, library bookstore, I guess, and I just – I don't know if it's because I was so fat or whatever, but I just found my way to the back of the bookstore, and I sat down on the books on the, on the floor, and I was looking through the books on the bottom shelf, and I saw Arthur C. Clark's uh, name, and I thought, oh, that's the guy who did 2001 – and I pulled it out, and what I had in my hand was this massive volume of his nonfiction essays. And I, I thought nothing in the world could be more boring. I don't even like science fiction. Now I'm not going to like hearing this guy's thoughts on it. And I sat down and read it for about two hours, and I was shocked at how this guy, in I think it was the 50s, basically predicted where the space program was going to be, the international space programs, and where the U.S. space program would be by the turn of the century. And it's when I started to appreciate the idea of science fiction because the human mind can go a lot faster than our than our bodies. But right. scientists know today things that it's going to take us decades to actually figure out how to physically do. And I just, I just can't believe that we would take our foot off the accelerator in that process because, you know, Newt Gingrich got a lot of crud for talking about colonizing the moon. But I happen to know, having worked with the United States Army, that there is a U.S space command. And what they talk about behind their doors is stuff that's top secret, but has to do with that moon up there and militarizing it. So, you know, it's nothing that isn't public. I'm just saying, uh, as a, I mean, look what this this guy just did, did this uh, private company that just launched a, a, a vessel out to the space station. I right. get so excited about this. I can't say it. I think you make good points. So, though. All right, we have to go to commercial. Any last thought before we go? Uh,
16: just, I think... Uh, innovation is great, but let's take care of our own people before we take care of the space people. You know. All
3: right. So what if can we compromise and say if there's a way to do both at the same time? Great.
16: Yeah, sure. And I I think I think accountability is the key.
3: Amen. I will agree with you on that. So we've got compromise all around. All right. Thank you so much for the call. Take care. The put a Mount Baldy out there, and uh, let's go to commercial again because we got some good stuff when we come right, back. Thanks.
2: You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.
1: Surprise, your woman in the bedroom. Go to adamandeve.com and receive 50% off almost any item, a free gift, three free DVDs, and free shipping. So go to adamandeve.com now and enter Toad Hop.
8: Hi. My name is Miles L. Berman. I'm known as Top Gun DUI Defense Attorney. We know how to fight your case and we know how to win. Me and my team of attorneys concentrate in representing people arrested for DUI. Call 888 4 Top Gun. That's 888 the number 4 T O P G U N, or visit our website at TopGunDUI.com because friends don't let friends plead guilty.
2: Now back to Vox Populi. Here's your host, Sean Astin.
3: Apologize. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Get Make sure that we go till uh, 2 o'clock. We can go all the way to the end, right, because there's no one behind us. Um, wow, there's so much to do. I have this great conversation, this great interview, an extended interview uh, with my cousin, Michael Kennedy, uh, who is a city council member in the city, the small city of uh, town of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, up in the northern panhandle of Idaho, uh, where my mom and stepdad have lived for, wow, almost 30 years. And, uh, there's some really interesting stuff going on up there, but it is, uh, we have a half hour left of the show and I kind of made a big deal about it on both on Twitter and then again at the beginning of this show that I was going to play this interview and then like have some inflammatory <laughs> remarks about Sean Hannity. So I think get, if you would get, if you would queue up, please, the, uh, the, the Colin Powell, uh, Colin Powell, Sean Hannity interview. This was taken. Jason, uh, sent it to me. Jason is. A, uh, a recurring presence on the show is our, our um, you know, Jason Swank is his name. Jason, uh, I, I certainly hope you're still ready to call in because I, I, I know you and I are going to uh, have to grapple a little after this one. But he was kind enough to, in the spirit of compromise conversation, uh, he was going to, uh, he sent me this little clip. Uh, again, no, we're not going to do the Michael Kennedy final. We're actually going to do the Sean Hannity Colin Powell, one. Can you see if you can uh, tee that up while I continue to introduce it? Um, This remote hosting from England is really fun. It has not been without mistakes, but it's, I think, been one of our best shows. It's been, there's just been a lot of good stuff, and the callers really made it early on. So, uh, and then that Donnelly interview. So, but anyhow, so Jason Swank sent us, and that's at Jason Swank, J A S O N S -S 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 W A N K. He's, I'm sort of looking for him to become a, Some sort of a, you know, guest producer on the show. He's just always full of good, uh, data to back up whatever we talk about. I don't know how fast his fingers can work when he pulls, pulls stuff, but, but anyhow, he sent me this thing in the nature of the compromise, you know, speaking to the compromise discussion. Colin Powell, who, um, you know, is an amazing American hero and legend and politician, statesman, warrior, uh, broke my heart when he testified. Uh, before the United Nations, just before OIF in 2003 about the weapons of mass destruction programs that the Iraqi had, which was just so, so transparently uh, ridiculous that it just threatens to undermine his entire legacy, which isn't fair to him. But anyhow, here he is battling back. He's got a new book out. Good for him. Uh, you'll hear the title of Colin Powell's book. Actually, you might not. I'll get it for the end of the thing. But uh, but here it is. He's on the Sean Hannity show, and he's doing his best to uh, be courteous with Sean Hannity and to try and interject some some calm into the into the storm. And Sean Hannity is doing his best to be uh, respectful of Colin Powell and um, uh, like like that. So let me. Um, so we're having a hard time labeling the clip, huh?
5: Or it's, locating it exactly because I have uh, the. This- the two we already played, plus one more. And the only other one I have is labeled Vox Pop Episode 5 Various. Uh, That might be it. You want me to try that one?
3: Yeah, for a second. I'm, I'm in, I'm, you know, I don't know. How many miles because away is London? Or inspire. Yeah, it's no big team from
8: Los Angeles. That's how far away Throw it up a much more because it's been uh, bill, but otherwise and we'll just keep talking about because it. Of so. who he is this is the one? And his rhetorical abilities. And we have to take that into yes. account. As well as the system. talking about Obama now and why he endorsed him. He has met the standard of being a successful president, being an exceptional president. I think he is a transformational figure. He is a new generation coming into the world, onto the world stage, onto the American stage. And for that reason, I'll be voting for Senator Barack Obama.
12: I that's when you, you made the endorsement. You said because of the inclusive nature of his campaign reaching out across America. The president himself has now said the Republican plan for this country is for dirty air and dirty water. You're still a Republican, right? That Republicans want kids with autism and Down syndrome and the elderly to fend for themselves. We have the Democratic ads, Paul Ryan look-alikes throwing granny over the cliff. Is, does that sound inclusive? Do you, are you, uh, seriously, because I find him one of the most divisive figures
8: in, that I've witnessed in politics today. Well, that's, that's a term that's being used <clears throat> rather freely. I don't think he's that divisive is an issue <clears throat> that we have right now. I've got dueling points of view, strongly held by both sides. And the president is starting to go to the mattresses, just as if Republicans are going to go to the mattresses to try to win the election. What could have been more divisive than when President Obama was inaugurated for a number of Republicans, friends of mine, and a number of commentators to say, we're going to destroy him. We're going to destroy him. Who said that? A lot of people say it, and I can get you a list, but I don't want to just take it off. The I was top one of his harshest critics. I, I wasn't I out to destroy him. I don't ever remember you saying it. Well, I, I was critical but about Bill Ayers and Reverend Wright. I don't know Bill Ayers from the Man on the Moon. Bill Ayers and Reverend Wright are just no. passing things through. Twenty his life. years in his church. Uh, Twenty years. Well, an so an unrepentant terrorist giving speeches, starting your political career in his house—that didn't impress you at all. At the time, it was a guy who was living in Chicago and happened to have a friend by the name of Bill Ayers. But I don't see Bill Ayers as having that kind of long-standing terrorist influence on the president. But you, I, but, I mean, it's, see you. it's ancient history now. Why are we fooling with that? Well, I don't think it's the issue. I think the economy and the president's record is you, this campaign. I couldn't see you in Reverend Wright's church for 20 years. Gee. I wasn't it in Reverend Wright. I didn't know anything about Reverend Wright or his church. And so this I know, thing, but that's my point. This thing explodes, yeah. and uh, it becomes a big... Everybody tries to make it the defining issue of the 2008 campaign. No. And guess what? The American people heard it. They heard all the attacks. They heard all the things that were said about the Reverend Wright issue. Then Senator Obama gave a speech on it. And the American people took it in stride and they elected a president. Yeah. They didn't listen to me. On the well, no, the they didn't. well, well they, that's what makes this country great. Yeah. You know, uh, Sean, we, we have a wonderful country. There has always been divisiveness within our political system because the founding fathers designed it that way. We don't have duels anymore, not that, I, not that I've seen lately. <laughs> not lately. It's, it may come back, though. We may need to bring it God back. forbid. God forbid. But the, the fact is that, as I say to all of my audiences, look, it, this isn't tiddlywinks. This is Politics. tough stuff. Politics is tough stuff. You should see what our founding fathers used to say to each other and in the early part of our of our nation. But what they were able to do, especially in Philadelphia in 1787 for four months, they argued about what a House should be, what a Senate should be, the power of the president, the Congress, the Supreme Court, and they had to deal with slavery. True. And they compromised on slavery because they couldn't solve it. Right. And they said, we're here to create a nation under a constitution, and they did. And so I saw that kind of – That's amazing. It's amazing, but they did it. It's
15: so a spinoff. All right. Do you think so – uh, well, we,
4: if
0: you're in there with
3: us – you know. Here we are. All right. Hi, everybody. We're back from the uh, Colin Powell – Sean Hannity interview. Um, wow, I didn't do what I said I was going to find the name of the Colin Powell book. So, again, uh, can somebody look that up for me while I make my next little speech here? Uh, actually, did he, no, we didn't hear it. Okay. The show is one eight 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 five two zero four three seven four, 888 520 and uh, I hope you call in. Here's the thing about Sean Hannity. I went through a period of time during the 2008 election, along with most of my Democratic friends and, and uh, Democrat friends and, and uh, you know, liberals alike, where my skin would crawl every time he opened his mouth. And the reason was because he was using a really, uh, an obvious and yet potent marketing technique. He took the same phrase, and repeated it over and over and over again. He talked about the, uh, and he just said it right there, you know, a, a uh, an unrepentant terrorist started his political career in the guy's living room. The, the, he had a series of phrases, and the way he repeated them over and over and over again was there is no other word for them. Colin Powell's most recent book, again, the one that he's promoting right now. It's got a green cover. Uh, the... The only word to describe what he was doing was propaganda. He was encoding in the mind of his listeners a series of phrases that were meant to achieve a very specific political end. So I thought that what he was doing then was I don't know if it's criminal because I'm not really sure. I know they outlawed that thing with subliminal advertising so you couldn't put raisinettes every fourth frame in a film because so, you find yourself halfway through the film really craving raisinettes. But, but there, so if there's nothing in the law, the actual law that's codified against that, I think there's something in our social discussion that should speak really, really intensely against that kind of behavior uh his job is not to be equal. his job is not to be fair. The guy is promoting a really intense political agenda and now i think he's equaled i think that uh rachel maddow and i think that uh, uh the other um m um, s n b c are now equally um vituperative and um you know, any kind of constructive exchange, uh, not any kind, but, but the, the large kind of emotional, the preaching of the choir, and the choir is thrilled to hear it, and it's not helping anything, uh, even though they put some good data out there, as does, uh, as does Sean Hannity and his Fox colleagues. But if you notice at the end of that thing, at the end of the interview I just played, Colin Powell was making his most, you know, elegant pitch for the idea that even though it's serious business and it's hard politics, to you know, push these issues forward and, and, and advocate for yourself uh, and your and your people and your side. <laughs> he Hannity couldn't help but sort of nod his agreement while re-upping this concept of how uh, Obama is is using these things about them wanting about uh, you know Republicans wanting. Pollution and wanting, you know, people with you know disabilities not getting their money and everything else. He he he, he couldn't even, within the context of that moment, get. See if you can uh, a, a line a line three Canada. Oh, it worked for me is the name of. Uh, it worked for me in life and leadership is Colin Powell's book. I have a caller on line one. Get see if you can load up real quick the last thirty seconds of that last uh, piece and go ahead and put. Uh, the, the um, Mike Kennedy one? No, no, no. We're we're done with interviews for today. We'll I'll, oh, okay. I'll play Mike next. But no, go ahead and give me um, Diego in Canada. We'll we'll go to Jason in a minute oh, okay. and see if you can see the last thirty seconds of the Colin Powell interview that we just listened to. Go ahead with Diego. Diego, oh. are you there?
5: Hold on, Diego. One, one second here. Hold on. Okay. Get him up for you. Sorry about that. Yeah.
3: Anyhow, I've tried very hard not to be too personal. Go go ahead, Diego, you're in Canada. How are you? Hi. Hi, Sean. I just
17: want to call to ask uh, what do you think about how much do we compromise for freedom related to security, especially with the audio that you played about Colin Powell where he mentions the founding fathers. And uh, I I just wanted to hear what you have to say about that.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you so much for the call. You know, this is a great discussion. Unfortunately, it gets used and manipulated. You know, if you want to advocate for civil liberties, some opponents of certain legislation will will say that, A, you're unpatriotic, or, B, you're reckless, and that you, um, uh, you know, and and that you're just, you know, completely ill-equipped to protect the nation.
17: Yeah.
3: I... I think that we must do... I've got three children. I fly on airplanes all the time. I want to be safe. I want my I want my country to be safe. I want the citizens of the world to be safe. But, boy, oh, boy, I really, really, really want us to be able to uh, peacefully assemble, and I think, feel like that's threatened. I want us to be able to use all of this wonderful technology and communication to the advantage of the people. I think there's now... Systems in place that can uh, can stop the free flow of information if it seems to be uh, a threat to the system. You know, I I, I think we are in um, a pitched battle between freedom and security, and I feel like right now uh, security is winning. You know, is it, just the scores run up, <laughs> 63 to nothing, and I think uh, I think freedom. The people who want to advocate for freedom, the people who know how to legislate on behalf of freedom, uh, really have their work cut out for them. But but really need to uh, get creative and, and work hard because the thing that makes this country great is the fact. And and what's interesting is, you know, a lot of people who are the most severe in terms of believing in security measures are the most ardent ones to preach about the importance of freedom. You know, yeah. it's like uh, I don't know what. It- have the freedom to keep ourselves shackled up but i don't want to have to you know take off my belt and my shoes every time i get on a plane i mean i will i do you know is really that little bottle of hairspray going to make the difference and maybe it will i'll do what i'm i'll do what i'm told i'll do what i'm supposed to do but i'm not above going to the barricades if it means that you know my children aren't going to have the ability to speak their mind and live their life to the best of their ability i disagreed with joe and In uh, Houston when he was saying that uh, we should tax people on the food they eat because it's bad for us I I think we should I think we should uh, have the right to to buy the food we want and and, you know but it's a great question it's a great question I I appreciate it Diego do you have any other thought before I jump
17: Uh, no no I just wanted to add that there is a fine line before being secured in the nation and allowing the government to do whatever they want where it could lead to the very words of the Constitution of the United States written by the founders, where they say that we need to watch out for those lines where people lose their freedom because the government is pushing for security. And uh, just like you said, I agree with what you said. It's about losing our freedom and allowing the government to just take complete control of our lives.
3: That is absolutely right, and you know, and Dwight Eisenhower gave his great—I uh, think it was his farewell speech—when he talked about beware of the rise in military-industrial complex, and I think that that has uh, come to um, come to pass. And, and I, you know, the Patriot Act is just an abomination. The fact that we can hold citizens yeah. uh, without without you know any kind of without bringing them to trial in any way. The fact that we've got you know guys down there languishing in in uh, Guantanamo Bay. You know, maybe some of them. Committed war? Con- I, who knows? You know, I I know that that at the end of the Second World War, both you know that people on all sides of the conflict were released because uh, you know the war was over and a truce was declared. And and you know, I'm sure they killed people on both sides and all sides. I'm thinking of Japan and maybe thinking of Germany. But but uh, you know, I guess the knock is that these there's no nation and so there's no lack of uh, you know uh, you know it's just a really hard thing. And I think that our I think that our liberties. I mean, who, I never have a phone conversation where I don't expect that somebody's listening. You know, maybe I'm paranoid, but I really don't. I, I just assume that somebody's listening, that it's being recorded somewhere, not because I particularly have anything to say, but because I'm a citizen of the United States of America. And I just feel like that's, I don't know whether it's legal or not. I just feel like that's what's being done. I don't, I think all of my data and information on my phone and my computer is very easily accessible if people want to grab it. So, you know, I think that our freedoms are under, serious attack. And so I would love to have somebody on the show. I'll see if I can get somebody on the show who can speak more intelligently to it and, and you know, actually invoke the, the, the language from the Constitution you're talking about. And, and like that. Let me go to Joe. Uh, thank you so much, Diego. I'm going to let you go. Up thank you. I'm gonna go to Jason in Ohio. You there, Jace? Jason, here we go. Jason, you're
5: on the line.
12: Hey Sean
3: hey, Nathan, all right, hit me with your best shot
12: what's that i'm sorry you you're breaking up a little bit.
3: Sorry, I said go ahead, hit me with your best shot <laughs> well I,
12: okay, so so criminal so uh, Sean Hannity uh, repeating these uh, talking points, which that 's what they are uh, talking points you say it 's almost borderline criminal. I'm a little confused by that. I mean, I, anytime I turn on the TV and I see various civil rights leaders or, uh, protest groups, typically on the left, they've got their own copy points that they're shouting over and over and over again. So I, I think it's, it's fair to say that both sides do it. I don't know that Sean Hannity was doing anything that was so, so out of line. He was trying to raise some issues. It did seem like for folks, um, that were, uh, in opposition of President Obama in 2008 that the mainstream media didn't seem interested in vetting this guy. Uh, in fact, it, the Clintons admitted so much, uh, when Hillary and, uh, Barack were locked in, uh, locking horns. Uh, you know, she expressed some frustration about the media's inability or unwillingness to vet, uh, Obama's past.
3: I don't think, I mean, boy, it it's hard to keep quiet right there, but, but I did it. I get it out of one. The, 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 there was a, in my, in my way of, there was a qualitative difference in the way that he, he you held your point, there was a, there was a, an intonation, a kind of musicality of the way he where he wasn't just, and, are you, Jason, are you on a cell phone? I am, yeah, are you having a hard time hearing me? Yeah, just mute the phone while I'm talking to them. When you're ready to go, just unmute, okay? So okay. What, what I wanted to say is that to me there was a, a, a tonal difference. There was an, almost a, a sonorous quality to what he was doing. And the repetition, the sheer amount of times that he said those words in that order, absolutely must eclipse. I would love to have – I know there are organizations out there that, that run these tests. But he, you know, that, that sort of say how many times, you know, everybody has talking points. They're all repetitive. I completely agree with you. There was something. To, I mean, and I, I, I listen to a lot of Fox. I, I like Fox news. I listen, you know, some of it maddened me. I think they, they get there faster now than most of the other news, you know, they get there faster than CNN. You know, I find myself when they're breaking news stories and living on Fox because they they just, uh, you know, and, the, and there's other personalities there that I like, but Sean Hannity was, was, was boring into the subliminal consciousness. I'm not, I said that I don't know if it's illegal, you know, because I'm not sure how that thing is codified, but I I uh it just felt to me out of bounds. What are you saying? And listen, Bill Ayers, you know, and and Reverend Wright and those speeches and that uh, those sermons that he gave and you know, how much time Obama spent there, I think was all totally fair game. I think fair game and, and I think the national media's inability to focus on certain things is, you know, that argument is is just true. It's just patently true. They, they, the, the national news media, and you know, I'm finding it kind of hypnotizing when I'm doing this show, you know, you want to kind of grab onto what people are paying attention to and use it to talk about the things that you like. And uh, you know, it ends up, it ends up blighting some of the other more interesting kind of more subtle things that you might talk about. But for my money, Hannity, you know, and I'd love to, I'd love to be armed with some information that I don't have at my fingertips and I'd love to go into, onto his show where he can shout me down only once, and I'd love to just express in my opinion that I thought what he did was unfair and was damaging to the country. What do you think?
12: Well, I, I will tell you that I thought that it got a little tiresome because it was not too far into the campaign that it, it, it seemed apparent that it wasn't resonating, that it wasn't clicking. Uh, people were very much caught up in the hope and change and uh, those issues people didn't seem to be uh, too interested in. Uh, can, can we talk a little bit about uh, compromise for a moment? Yeah, go. Yeah, you know, I think that there's several key ingredients that you need for compromise, and I like what you said earlier in the show where you you mentioned the word cooperation, which I think, I don't know that it's synonymous with compromise, but I think that it's essential. Um, you also need, you know, if you've got two reasonably prudent people or prudent parties, um What The danger is, if you get into somebody, you know, you, you can't put it this way, you can't argue with a crazy person, because after a while, no one's going to be able to tell the difference. But if there is trust, and I think of all the things that matter when it comes to compromise, you need trust. And one of the sad things about our political discourse now is that we have bought into caricatures of each other. And I'll be quite honest with you, Sean, one of the reasons why I like your show so much, and I'm responding to you, even though we're politically, I think, very different is that I believe that you are sincere and my biggest hang-up with the modern left in this country is I believe that they are doing what's politically expedient it's about give 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 in order to get 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 more votes more power more control and as much as I hate to be cynical I had a real strong opinion about folks on the left. Your show is helping me to understand that there's some real sincerity uh on the other side and I appreciate that. So
3: I think there's hope. Thanks, Jeanette. I really appreciate that. It's funny, I, I know a lot of my liberal friends will say the exact same use the exact same words about conservatives, but I you know, it's always it's always good if you if you can credibly do it, not to question the motives of your of your opponent or of your, your you know, adversary or whatever, but but sometimes, you know, sometimes people are nefarious. Sometimes people do the wrong thing, and, it, and it, there's a time to fight. Um, but not on the show. So I appreciate the call. And let me do my last caller uh, who's on there. Bye, Jay. Okay, do we still have our last caller left?
0: Yep, he's on the phone
3: now. All right, hello there. Hello, Sean. Oh, hello. Linda? Yeah. Hi, Sean, this is Linda. Are, are you cut out? Did you say Linda? Yes, it's Linda. Hi, Linda. How are you?
18: He, you're, I'm fine. It's your intrepid chronicler calling.
14: Um,
18: yes, yes. I just, I, I. It was hard to hear through the phone uh, some of the conversation that you just had with Jason, but it was interesting what he said. First, um, is what he said about how he sees people on the left, as of course how many of us on the left see people on the right as just saying what they need to say to get elected. But he's right in that we have to try and listen to each other and realize that we're not so far apart as it is. Um,
6: well, there as, we go. The
18: two, of my,
3: uh, two, two of my my solid, you know, most loyal uh, listener viewers and friends calling in, one from the right, one from the left, and finding complete common ground. I have 30 seconds <laughs> left to wrap, Linda, so... Uh, we're going to talk about ferrets. I think we're going to do the ferrets in Kentucky, so I look forward to doing that, and I will Oh, great! a little bit later. Terrific. Uh, okay, right, we'll talk about, about that later. The
18: reason that I, the reason that I called, though, is um, there was mention of our founding fathers and some of the very difficult issues that they grappled with, um, yet they managed to compromise and to come to an agreement. Um, everybody wasn't happy with it, but they managed to do it, even though at that time the um, – the type of name-calling and things that went on was just as bad, if not worse, than it is now. So how Thank did they manage that. to do it, yet we seem to be unable to? And um, I think that the media is a lot to blame for this. The 24-hour news news programs that are on all the time, you don't get butts in the seat with compromise. You get it with conflict. And just the way that Linda, the weather channel Linda, loves Linda. a good hurricane or a snowstorm or an outbreak of tornadoes, the... The news media, the 24-hour news media, and this is both those who lean towards the left and the right. They thrive on the conflict. They get people to watch their shows. Um, most uh, radio talk show hosts get people to listen to their shows based on conflict. And hey, no. when- That's what I
3: tried to, do. Linda, I tried to do that a little bit today. They gave me a minute ago, yeah. the- so I have to sign off. Call me earlier in the show next next week, and we'll talk longer. Let me just say that Colin Powell invoked. Slavery. This is one of the most, you know, successful uh, African American, uh, you know, officers, warriors, politicians, you know, diplomats, and uh, and he invoked that and how they had to compromise and it took a civil war with hundreds and thousands of deaths and it took a century or more before we mm-hmm. could, uh, you know, to, before we could solve that. So one of the things that it takes, not impugning people's intentions. The second thing it is is time. And that, so. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to Vox. Popular voice of the uh, occasionally interested and today really interested and interesting people. And we'll look forward to next week's episode back at our regularly scheduled time in Los Angeles live. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, everybody else. We'll see you all next week.
2: You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.
9: Hey, Heidi and Frank here from HeidiandFrank.com. Hooters is open late every single night. Late night happy hour starts at 10 p.m. And the kitchen doesn't close until midnight.
1: And keep in mind, it's Hooters swimsuit pageant time. All contests start at 10
9: p.m. With all beers, it's $2 and $4.
1: And May 12th is the West Coast Regional Swimsuit Pageant at Icon L.A. Ultra Lounge. And we're going to be there.
9: We're going to be judging. Mm-hmm. It was so hard last year. What? Judging. Oh, right, right, right. So check out WestCoastHooters.com for contest dates and details.